Well, hi, everyone. Welcome, and welcome to those of you who are joining us online. I'm so glad that we were all able to find our way here through the rain and all the construction. And, you know, I hear Winnipeg has, Winnipeg does have four seasons. It's uh, almost winter, winter, still winter, and road repair. So it's really showing itself. Uh, for those of you who don't know me and for those of you who are watching online, my name is Graham. I'm the teaching pastor here at Elam Chapel, and I'm so glad that you could join us today. Happy Ascension Sunday! Did you guys realize this past Friday was Ascension Day? It was the, the 40 days since Easter when Jesus ascended back to heaven. So today is Ascension Sunday, which means Pentecost is just around the corner. And quite appropriate to that topic today is our reading and our passage. We are continuing our series. We've been doing a series called The Unknown. And the principle of this series is that we are looking at people in the Bible who aren't very well known, who you might not recognize and seeing ourselves in that. Because I don't know about you, I don't usually feel like a Peter or a Paul or a David in the Bible. Do you? Right? Usually, I feel like a Matthias or Matthias, depending on how you want to pronounce his name. Usually, I feel like um, I'm blanking on who we preached on last week. Somebody remind me. Nobody remembers. It's all right. That other prophet there. Exactly. Micaiah. Sometimes I feel like a Micaiah. So we're today we're talking about Matthias or Matthias. The name can be pronounced either way. I know uh, Heather and Peter have Matthias, so maybe I'll stick to that in their honor. But um, let's pray before we get into the word. Lord God, thanks for today. Thanks for bringing us together. Thank you for the technology that allows us to join with those of us who couldn't be here today, but who can join us through the internet. We're so grateful for that, God. Lord, we remember again the Chaco family. We think also, Lord, of the, the people in the Ukraine, the people in Texas. There's so much hurt in the world, Lord. Pray that you would be our comfort. You would be with us, be with them as they go through all of it. Lord, we pray that you would open our hearts to your word this morning, that we would come to know you better. In your name we pray, amen. So our reading today comes from Acts chapter 1. If you want to turn to it in your Bible or on your phone, you're welcome to do that. I believe we have the passage up on the screen this week. Yes, Acts chapter 1. We're starting in verse 12 and we're reading through to verse 26. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and along with his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, Brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in our ministry. With the payment he received for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. There he fell headlong, his body burst open, and all his intestines spilled out. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, so they called that field in their, la in their language, Akeldama, that is, the field of blood. For, said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. 
Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time that the Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they nominated two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias, so he was added to the eleven apostles. Matthias is a textbook example of a background character. We know so little about him that we're not even sure where he died. There are, in fact, three competing traditions. One, that he lived and ministered in Jerusalem and then was stoned to death by the religious leaders and also possibly decapitated. Two, that he went to the area around the Black Sea called Cappadocia and brought the gospel there and where he died in modern-day Georgia. Or the third tradition is that he went to Ethiopia, southern, well, south of Egypt at least, in Africa, and ministered to the cannibals. Tradition does hold that his remains were brought to Italy, and his bones were divided between an abbey in Padua, Italy, and another in Trier, Germany. This passage that we just read is, in fact, the only one in the scripture where he explicitly appears. Church tradition holds that he was among the 72 who were sent out by Jesus in Luke chapter 10, as must have been Joseph Barsabbas, the other candidate, though neither are named in that passage. And according to the qualifications laid out by Peter in Acts chapter 1, both men must have been with Jesus, in fact, ever since he was baptized by John. Which, like, that's a bit weird because of the way that our Gospels are written. Jesus is baptized by John at the end of Luke chapter 3, but he doesn't call his first disciples until Luke chapter 5, which is pretty weird, unless you realize what kind of literature we're dealing with. Our four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are written in the style of ancient biography. And ancient biographies are not written like modern biographies, where they go from one event to the next in chronological order. Rather, they tend to move by subject matter. And they're quite free to move events around to make it fit better into the, the story that they're trying to tell. So, for example, if someone wrote my biography, they would write that I felt called to ministry, then Danielle and I got married, then we had our first child, then I finished my degree, and I started working in churches. But an ancient biography might start by talking about my call and where I went to school and then the churches I've been part of, and then after that, talk about my personal life. The most obvious example from the Gospels is the story about the clearing of the temple. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, this event takes place at the end of Jesus' life. It's sort of a final act that breaks the religious leaders and forces their hand against Jesus. But in the Gospel of John, it's literally one of the first things that Jesus does. It's in John chapter 2. John presents the clearing of the temple as more like a theme event, something to keep in mind as you read the rest of the gospel, like a thesis statement. For some people, this can be a cause for concern about the authenticity of the Bible, but I want you to be able to look at these stories and recognize that you're not dealing with a work of modern journalism. 
We have to be okay with a little bit of play in the timeline when we look at these things. So that was a bit of a rabbit trail, but I always think that it's important that we maintain our confidence in the Bible and just check in about those things and make sure that we're on the same page. So, Matthias is a text group, textbook background character. He was probably among the 72, but we don't know for sure. We do know that he wasn't among the 12, but we also know that he's been part of the gang for the whole time. There's another story that I'd like to bring up from the Gospels that doesn't name Matthias, but we know he must have been there. And that story is in John chapter 6. Jesus has been teaching some hard things, and the disciples are really wrestling with it. In fact, many of the disciples turn and leave, and they stop following him as a result of these teachings. Jesus, in a moment of frustration, turns to the 12, and he asks, are you going to leave as well? Now, the text says that Jesus said this to the 12, but we know from Acts 1 that both Matthias and Joseph Barsabbas must have been there too, and presumably some of the women who followed Jesus and maybe some other disciples. But Peter, as is often the case in the Gospels, answers for them all. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. That's John chapter 6, verses 68 and 69. These words, this is my theme verse for ministry. I'm not sure that I would call it my favorite verse, but they're the verses that guide me. They are why I believe in church and ministry and in what we're doing here. When you come into this church, I'm overjoyed to meet you. I'm thrilled when you decide to join a ministry team here. I am blown away when you decide to support this ministry financially. And it gets me deep in the heart when you become, not only become, but feel like you are part of this community. Because I believe in church. And more than that, I believe in Jesus. Jesus is everything. He changes how we live our lives in every way. He changes how we parent. He changes how we work, how we get married, how we have friendships. He changes how we see new life. He changes how we die. The message of the gospel is everything. And where will you hear that if not in church? What will happen to those people who come in here and don't feel welcome, who don't feel like they can be part of this community, who don't feel like they can join a team? This place and other churches like it, I don't mean to say that we're the only one, is this is where we hear the words of eternal life. This is where we meet our creator and we learn who he's made us to be and where we are shaped ever more into that greatest, most Christ-like version of ourselves. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Matthias was standing there that day. You know who else was standing there that day? You know who else stood behind Peter and echoed those words and stood his ground to remain faithful to Jesus when all those others turned away? Judas. I struggle to imagine the depth of the betrayal that the disciples must have felt after Judas turned Jesus over to the authorities. The hollowness that that must have left. This man has been their brother for the last three years, and now not only has he betrayed them, but he's also died. We have no record of the internal struggle of the disciples in this period. Did they wrestle with hating Judas? 
Were they glad he was dead, maybe secretly? Were they still mourning the loss of their brother? It's impossible to say, but we can be confident that it was a complex emotional situation. And then Peter gets up after Jesus ascends and he declares that they must choose a replacement for Judas. Matthias is chosen. Can you imagine what he was stepping into? Actually, I bet some of you can. Some of you will step into situations where the vacancy that was left was left there by a betrayal. Some of you are in that situation now, working hard to share God's light in a place that was left dark by an unforeseen departure. Okay, unforeseen departure is the wrong phrase. That makes it sound like a death, which in some ways might be easier. This is more like, more like a nasty divorce. Some of you have stepped into a marriage where the previous partner engaged in a betrayal and you are dealing with the fallout of that previous partner's choices. Some of you have become step-parents and you are working through the consequences of an absent parent with these children whom you love but who are not yours by blood, though they are yours by love. In fact, we don't even need to be that dramatic. You don't need to be married or need to have kids in order to recognize that in relationships, we're dealing with baggage. Elam Chapel suffered a church split some 30 years ago, and I'm told that the worship ministry was a big part of that. Some of you don't have to imagine, but for the rest of us, imagine getting up to lead worship and stepping into that vacancy after being betrayed by that previous leadership. Or think about a week ago, there was a church in Indiana that was in the news because their pastor was stepping down after admitting to having an affair with a minor. The pain that that church must be going through to have one of their families so victimized by a man that they trusted and the difficult journey that whoever they bring in to lead their, next congreg or their congregation will face. Please keep them in your prayers. Please keep many of the families in our church and around the world in your prayers. God honored Matthias for stepping into that role and becoming one of the 12. He worked through him to reach people, and he gave an example to follow. But what else can we learn from Matthias? Well, how about the deep uncertainty around Matthias's election? I'll elaborate on that in two ways. First, there's the fact that Matthias is chosen by Lot. To me, this is one of the weird things in the Bible. And in fact, there is great debate among theologians as to whether this is an instance of the Bible telling us what we should do or if this is just the Bible telling us what they did do in that situation. Do you understand the distinction? Yeah? Reasonable distinction? Okay. Because the practice seems very strange to me. We don't know exactly what casting lots meant. It was some kind of chance, something like drawing straws or rolling dice or flipping a coin. Israel did this when they divided the promised land. Joshua had them divide the land into parts, and then he cast lots to see which tribe would receive which part of the land. The soldiers, of course, cast lots for Jesus' clothing when he was being crucified. There are other instances in the Bible of this, this activity. And this seems like such a strange way to make an important decision. I mean, I like games. I play games that involve dice. In fact, I've got one right here. 
I just so happen to have this on me. This is a regular six-sided die. Did you know that? One die, two dice? Most people don't seem to know that. So this is a regular six-sided die. Um, and, oh, by the way, hope to see you at our next board game night on June 7th. Not just for men anymore. You're all welcome. Love to see you there. Two weeks ago, we elected two new elders to our board, Jason and Frank. Imagine if we were only allowed to elect one of them. And we went, okay, Lord, who should be on the board? Jason or Frank, odds or evens? <laughs> or think back to three years ago. In fact, almost exactly three years ago. On June 4th, which is this coming Saturday, was the first time that I came and preached at Elam Chapel. You had four candidates at the time, I believe, for a teaching pastor. And can I just say again how grateful I am to be part of this community. But can you imagine if you'd had your four candidates come up and preach their message, and then John or Bob or whoever was leading the board at that time had come up and said, okay, we've got our four candidates. Who should it be, Lord? <laughs> right? And yet... Proverbs 16.33 says the lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. There is something to be said for the idea that if we trust God and if we believe God is in control, then he can affect something like rolling dice to get the outcome that he wants. Now, I think that as people of the new covenant indwelt with the Holy Spirit, we don't need to throw dice. We can hear from God individually and receive that guidance without appealing to some sort of divination. So I'm deeply hesitant to say that God would act through something like dice today. In fact, this instance in Acts chapter 1, the selection of Matthias, is the last time in Scripture that we see lots used as a decision-making device among God's people. It's likely no coincidence that the Holy Spirit comes upon the believers in power in the very next chapter. But even more than any concerns that we might have around the manner in which Matthias was selected, we might also question the very fact of his being nominated at all. There's a strong case to be made that only God gets to appoint the Twelve. The offices of the Twelve Apostles are not something that have continued to be filled throughout church history. Jesus appointed the original Twelve, but what if God had his own replacement for Judas already picked out? Can you think of anyone that we would refer to as an apostle who God quite obviously selected himself afterwards? Paul. God literally knocked him off his horse. He spoke to him. He commissioned him. Paul had no problem referring to himself in his letters as an apostle, though he never claims to be one of the twelve. Is it possible that the disciples were wrong to even nominate men to replace Judas? Maybe God had his own replacement picked out and in God's timing would bring him to the church. A little bit of a segue. Have you ever struggled with imposter syndrome? Apparently some 70% of us will experience it at least once at some point in our lives. It is most commonly tied to starting a new venture of some kind. Imposter syndrome is when you believe that you don't deserve what you have. Where you doubt your skills or abilities or even your accomplishments. 
it primarily shows up as a deep fear that you will be exposed as a fraud despite not having any real fraudulent activity to reveal. For example, men, have you ever looked at your wives and thought, not just what a catch, but when is she going to realize? That's a yes. All right. I'm not the only one. Or students, have you ever started a new course and thought, if that prof asks me something, they're all going to realize that I don't know anything and I shouldn't be here? Aaron's laughing. That's good. He knows. That is imposter syndrome. So with everything that we just talked about, questioning Matthias' apostleship, do you think Matthias ever struggled with imposter syndrome? I'm going to go with yes. I'm going to go with he probably did. And yet, Matthias continued to serve. Matthias was able to trust God through all those questions. Whether Matthias served in Jerusalem, in Ethiopia, or in Georgia, Matthias trusted God to work through him in spite of his flaws and deficiencies. And God did. Through Matthias, God saved people. God spread the message of the the gospel in Jerusalem and Samaria and to the ends of the world. And I think that that's our real takeaway from the story of Matthias. Matthias served faithfully regardless of recognition. There's so much that we can relate to about Matthias. We relate to his being in the background of not being an important character. We relate to his likely insecurity over what recognition he did receive. But just like Matthias, we too can serve faithfully regardless of any of the rest of it. Just like Matthias, who wasn't called by name to be part of the 72, we too can go into towns and villages and prepare the way for Jesus. Just like Matthias, we too can stand on the centrality of Jesus and present him as the way forward for all the world's problems. Matthias stepped into a circumstance rife with emotional turmoil and pain, and he served faithfully to love those people and to lead them through whatever God put in front of them. Matthias showed up. Matthias didn't stop serving because his name didn't get called. Matthias didn't stop giving because he didn't get put in the bulletin. Matthias knew why he was there. He knew who he was there to serve, and he didn't let any of life's stuff get in the way. And that is something we can all do. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the story of Matthias. Thank you that he appears, that these these people just appear in your word to let us know that there were regular people in your story, God. Even when they're not people that get a big focus, it's nice to know they were there. Lord, thank you that we're here. Even though there's no spotlight on most of us, Lord, thank you that we're here, that we're part of your story. Help us to be faithful servants. Help us to follow you regardless of any of the other stuff. In your name we pray. Amen.